0: And welcome back, everybody. We've got a fabulous guest today. It is Jordan Gannat. He's the founder and CEO of Playmaker Capital. It is publicly traded, so you are going to want to pay attention to this interview. See so if you can pick up any uh, any inside tips that that, that Jordan uh, lets slip. Uh, it's uh, PM. No orange jumpsuits. <laughs> That's our number one
1: rule of this company. There's no orange jumpsuits, so we're all good.
0: All right. Well, let, let, let's see if I can get some information out of you that, that the everyday investor hasn't necessarily gotten so far. But the, the uh, ticker symbol is PMKR. Uh, so, Jordan, thanks for joining us. Good to see you again, my old friend. We're longtime friends. Good to friends see you, Jim. From, from, thanks from, from, for having me. From, from the gaming industry. So tell everybody about Playmaker Capital.
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, Playmaker Capital is a business that we started in January 2021, uh, and it is a business that lives at the intersection of sports, gambling, media, and technology. And what we did is we set out to look at the emerging sports betting markets and regulated sports betting markets from the top of Canada to the bottom of Argentina. And what we did is build a business based on acquisitions where we've acquired 15 companies in the last 20 months, we've stitched them together with deep integrations, and we've built what is now the seventh largest digital sports media across that entire region, and the number one digital sports media business in Latin America. Our focus is in these emerging markets, so countries like Canada with newly regulating markets, Ontario being an example, the U.S. states now, you've got over 30 states now that have some form of regulated sports betting and iGaming. Mexico, 120 million people. Brazil, 200 million people. Argentina, 40 million people. Large, Large countries in these regions, which are all emerging as newly regulated markets and somewhere where we know that sports betting operators covet sports fans. We know sports fans are the most coveted demographic for a whole bunch of other tier one advertisers, your Nikes, your Adidas, your Gatorades, your Coca-Colas of the world. And we build this at scale. We build this audience at scale. We deliver, uh, we deliver over a hundred million, about a hundred million uh, unique users coming to our properties each month. We deliver over 3 billion ad impressions each and every year. Uh, In Brazil alone, we had one website that delivered over a billion sessions last year. So large numbers, large audience of these coveted sports fans that we want to deliver at scale to anybody who is looking for sports, uh, who is looking for sports fans, mainly in these emerging market sports betting operators.
0: Yeah. And I think an element of your business that a lot of people aren't even aware exists is deals with sports betting companies to help deliver to them players right? I mean, everybody sees the ads out there and these big sports betting companies are just killing each other, trying to get new players. And it's all about cost of acquiring a new player. And part of your strategy, correct me if I'm wrong, is to deliver to these guys through affiliate deals, new players that you'll actually receive some type of commission on.
1: Yeah. Affiliate's an important part of the sports betting industry. When you take a look at a more mature market like Europe and the UK affiliates still represents 10 to 15% of all marketing spend. So this is the ability for a media company to go out and find sports betting fans, sports betting potential customers and deliver them to sports betting operators on one of three different models. There is a traditional sort of straight advertising model where a sports betting operator will just buy, call them spots and dots on websites and they'll just pay for a CPM cost per thousand. There's deals where they will pay a CPA, a cost per acquisition, which is just a single fee that you would get for delivering a first time depositor and sports better to a sports betting operator. Or a revenue share, where you'll have a lifetime revenue share for a particular customer who has uh, who has activated through one of your uh, through one of your websites uh, with with that sports betting operator. You know, we we built our business. A lot differently than other affiliate operators in the space have done. We really built a media business. what a, what most affiliate operators set out to do is they go and they generate they generate a bunch of URLs and websites and social properties and they build up audiences on those social properties. But really what they're focusing on is quality traffic, that is going using SEO and other uh, and other tools in order to drive very specific audiences not necessarily large audiences but very specific audiences to these particular websites and deliver them from those websites or social channels to sports betting operators we came at it the other way and we said every sports fan does a whole bunch of stuff they buy hats they buy mats they buy rugs if you put a packers logo on it and someone's a packers fan they're going to buy something we said if sports fans want to buy everything. Then why are we focused just on sports betting as one vehicle? There's actually a sports fan and there's a whole bunch of activity that sports fans do and you can generate revenue either from advertising or from affiliate. So we went out and bought audience and created audience and grown audience. From there we can deliver revenue in a whole bunch of different ways. We have straight programmatic revenue, which is basically spots and dots, and then you get direct campaigns and as you move up the average revenue you can generate per user, the top of the food chain is affiliate. It's where you're going to get the highest value for an individual sports fan. So that affiliate revenue really is called, we call it the tip of our spear in terms of how we generate uh, revenue from uh, from that particular field. But there's a lot of focus on sports betting operators. We also del- We also generate revenue from, uh, from streaming companies. So Fubo TV, Disney Plus, uh, Sling TV, Paramount Plus, we have affiliate arrangements with them as well. They all want the same thing. They want a sports fan who's going to become a consumer to them. Right now, they're just a customer. They come in, they make a bet, they leave, but they want a consumer. They want loyalty. They want to be able to build a relationship with that particular user by coming to our sites, where people come to our sites often, they're always reading updated, new material. We're delivering over 1,500 to 2,000 fresh pieces of content each and every day. We drive them back; they get that loyalty. They see these sports betting operators and other products uh, often on our websites, and ultimately, we drive them to sports betting operators who will pay us either a CPA cost per thousand, sorry, a CPA a cost per acquisition, a CPM cost per thousand. Or lifetime values,
0: and this affiliate arrangement has become such a big deal that, in fact, you have to actually get a license in many states to be an affiliate. Correct?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's states that uh, there's you know three three types of states out there. There There's states that are very liberal where they will just uh, you, you don't need to get any sort of license whatsoever. So you're just an advertising company. You're just gonna take it. There are states where you're required to get a marketing license and a marketing. Um, simple marketing license would be would allow you to get a cost per th- a cost per acquisition, so a, a what I would call a cPA, a single fee in order to deliver a sports betting fan to an operator. If you want a revenue share, there are several states that will require you to get a full license. So an example in the, state of, in the state of New Jersey, if you want to get a revenue share, you need a much higher bar of licensure in order to get there because the, the, the uh, DGE will assume that and correctly, they assume that you are now generating revenue from sports betting, from the outcome of events. And if that is something you're doing, then the way that they have interpreted that is you'd need to have a, uh, a more strict license for it. In Ontario, you don't need any license to do any of that. And in some states in the US, you don't need any license for that.
0: So I, I think that's the most interesting arrangement out there where you continue to receive a revenue stream indefinitely from a player that you referred over to one of the sports betting sites. So as they reload their account, you guys are getting a percentage every time they reload. Is that essentially how it works?
1: Uh, you're you're getting of the value of the player. So a value of the player is calculated by wins minus, uh, wins minus losses or losses minus wins. Uh, so you, you're getting a percentage of the revenue that a sports betting operator generates. Revenue is is sort of what is left over
0: from paying out winnings. Gotcha. So they have to track all the players and where the players came from and exactly how they've been doing and then know to cut you guys a check every month?
1: Uh yeah, month or quarter depending on the arrangement, yeah.
0: And, and are all of the sports betting companies doing these arrangements?
1: So in 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 the European market it's very common. I mean this, this is uh tried tested true. Can, Canada and the US are very very new, you know. We're we're in the we're in the top of the second inning here. Uh, And in the European market, you've got companies, uh, you know, big publicly traded companies in the European market, like Katina Media, like Better Collective. You know, those are those are businesses that have long history in the space and they have uh, they have a, a much more mature market where. Revenue shares are very, very common uh, in the North America market. It's a little different. Uh, I think the the sports betting operators themselves are trying to figure out what the value is of a player. Uh, so sometimes it's better just to to for them to just to cut you a one time check than it is to estimate what the value of a potential player could be and decide what uh, what they're supposed to be paying you as a percentage. I think eventually, as the market begins to mature, you'll see much more of a. Uh, Much more of a split going to between uh, acquisition cost versus uh, a lifetime value. Right now, it's very, very skewed towards uh, single acquisition cost.
0: And and do you have to disclose to the player that, hey, just so you know, player, whenever you lose, we're giving a share of what you lost to uh, those guys over there at Playmaker Capital?
1: No, no, you wouldn't have to disclose that. That again you, you have you have privacy rules against uh, all of that sort of stuff. So no, you would not have to you wouldn't disclose that. You'd 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 be if you if you think every player has got on average over two accounts, um that's a lot of information that you'd be passing back and forth to a lot of different people and, and there's you know, no, not sure that there's a value that the industry has ever seen. I've never seen that done anywhere. Right. Else. So,
0: so when a player goes from your site and then signs up with a, a sports betting site, they don't necessarily know, or they're not thinking about the fact that, oh, the site that just referred me is making some money off of me.
1: No, I don't think, I think you'll you'll find in any form of advertising. You see them. Just, just think of this as any other form of advertising on the internet. Any other form of affiliate revenue. Fanatics, as an example, is an affiliate model. You go onto a website, you see an ad to buy a shirt. A Paul Coffee jersey, you click on it. And uh, next thing you know, you're in Fanatics, you buy the jersey, whoever referred you from that site got paid mm-hmm. to, to do that. But that's the model, right? The, the companies like a Fanatics would not have paid to advertise. The model is we will pay you a fee if that person does convert into a sale. Pretty much every single time you open up Instagram, you're going to see someone trying to get you to sign up to an app, whether that's a workout app, a diet app, or buy some clothing. When you're clicking through all of those different things, eventually, if you make a transaction uh, at some point in the future in a deemed amount of time, the person who posted that on your on behalf of the operator or the retailer will get paid.
0: And give us a glimpse into what these sports betting companies are dealing with right now when it comes to acquiring players because you're hearing about it being very expensive perhaps too expensive or they're spending too much money trying to acquire players um i'm hearing stories about you know you're in a bar in tempe arizona and they're paying hot girls to go around uh table to table and sign up players the player gets a huge bonus if they sign up the girl gets a huge bonus for signing you up i mean you know the the, the, the costs seem pretty high as far as what they're willing to spend these days to acquire a player,
1: well, I can't speak to what's going on in Tempe, Arizona, because <laughs> right now I'm looking outside of my window in
0: Toronto and uh, it's a
1: lot colder than what it is in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, but may- I- maybe, I maybe say- in some of those
0: bars, <laughs> it's
1: probably a little warmer. <laughs> uh, what, what I would say is that if you think about what it costs to build a brand in the US, So let's take uh, FanDuel and DraftKings, the two biggest brands in sports betting in the U.S. FanDuel and DraftKings each spent a billion dollars as fantasy sports companies building a brand. And people don't necessarily think about that when they talk about the power of what those brands have been able to create in terms of just truly unaware, un, unabated or, or sort of unprompted awareness uh, in the marketplace. So what does it cost to acquire a customer? What does it cost to get some someone's loyalty? You know, the US is a very, very expensive media market. Uh, and I think the certainly the cost of acquisition that is out there is high. There's no question. And you see right now, there's been a pullback. You see Caesar, Caesars... Has uh, has certainly pulled back from where they were in in the New York market is one example. And you hear about the sports betting operators. DraftKings just put out their results in the last week. They're talking about profitability, the path to profitability, because the market has changed. The market doesn't want to see spending for the sake of spending. What they want to see is businesses that have a sustainable business model. Uh, you've had some companies step out of the industry, Twin Spires, who were Churchill. They they came into the industry and they said, this is just not going to work for us. And they have a very focused business model on profitability. So I think the market, the market of buying for the sake of buying players will continue to shift and get down to a more normalized level. But it doesn't go away, right? If you think about it, somebody turns 18, 19, or 21 each and every day. So a sports betting fan is born every single day of the week, every single hour of every single day. So they always need to be in the market to acquire new players. And it's just a question of at what point does that begin to go from uh, a new state opening, where when a new state opens, there is a massive push to get as many new fans into that website as quickly as possible. And then from there, it begins to peter off and get into what I would call just steady state. And that steady state in Europe, as I said earlier, is 10 to 15% of the marketing budget. What's it going to be in Canada and the US and in Brazil and Argentina and in Colombia and in Mexico? It's to be seen. These are newly regulated markets that have not had this activity in the regulated in the regulated uh, environment as, uh, as it's had in the gray environment before.
0: Yeah. Well, you're making me love the space that you're in because these guys are spending tons of money to get players and you're basically there... With, on the one hand, ready to deliver the player, and on the other hand, with your hand out saying, "Pay me," <laughs> and there's a lot of there's a lot of dollars out there.
1: Listen, when I when I started Playmaker, I've, I, as you know, I've been in the gambling industry since 2003. So, uh, I mean, th- this was not my first rodeo. And when I got into this industry, this is sort of 2000. And, uh, you know, it's summer of 2000. We're in the middle of COVID. Uh, I was with just before this. I was with Stars Group uh, and Foxbet and Stars got bought by Flutter. Uh, I, I, was, I was happy to, uh, to leave and put my feet on my desk. And a friend of mine called me and said, hey, would you like to take over our sport tech fund? And I said, no, I don't do funds. But if you want to go try something in the sports betting industry, let me uh, give it some thought. And over the course of that summer, we gave a lot of thought to this newly regulating market. And what what you really look at is at the top of the food chain are sports betting operators, right? They are the retailers. At the bottom are the platform providers, just basic, simple technology that is, uh, or complicated technology that sits on the bottom that everything stacks on top of. But in between those two groups is all of the service providers, geolocation services, KYC services, AML services, games providers, payment processors. And the more I looked at this and the more of our, we started coalescing around, what is it that we want to do? I go back to my days, and you would know this from your days in the machine business, you know, A slot machine is a fancy piece of furniture with a bunch of lights on it until someone puts 20 bucks in it. And then it turns into a slot machine. Well, a sports betting technology, a sports betting operator is just a marketing company until someone places a bet. And that someone is a sports fan. And so we went at it and said, why are we bothering to be an operator top of the food chain or a platform provider, you know, just a toll road? I know that I can feed the beast. And the sports fan area, when you're feeding the beast with sports fans, which is the one thing it needs more than anything, you're in the immediately profitable part of that ecosystem. Can't live without us. You can't run a sports betting business without a sports fan. And so if we we set out on a model to build the largest audience of sports fans, a very homogeneous audience, if someone comes to any one of our websites, you know full well that it is a sports fan. If you listen to one of our podcasts, we've got over 20 podcasts, they are All about sports. If you go to any one of our social channels, we have over 175 million social followers on all of our different platforms. You know full well that they are sports fans. So if you're looking for a sports fan, this is somewhere to come. And we know that now that we've aggregated them, we can deliver them at scale to operators, which is what they're looking
0: for. Very cool. All right, we got to take our break, uh, and then I'm going to give you a free, free tip for you for your company Uh, it's it's one word it's called pickleball pickleball we'll talk about that after the break (laughs) major league pickleball
2: (laughs) hi my name is sarah and i want to tell you about my podcast called Travis Carmichael, the seemingly social financier who successfully left behind a blue collar Baltimore upbringing by transforming himself into an elite hedge fund manager branded with a sterling reputation for creating enviable profit machines for many of the world's most powerful people. His success proved costly as he became incessantly vulnerable after a series of careless mistakes and poor decisions originated from his love affair with the brilliant and stunningly beautiful Russian operative Naomi Knight. Through a roller coaster journey, journey of greed, mystery, sex, and murder, Travis and Naomi's metamorphosis, from scorching Wall Street couple to unrecoverable bliss, is forever locked for posterity, is one of New York City's most interesting tales. Coming to you from former Wall Street hedge fund executive and frequent contributor on CNBC, Fox News, Bloomberg, and CNN, I, Todd. Schoenberger feature a historical novel inspired by true events, including but not limited to those who possess impenetrable dreams of Manhattan wealth and the consuming lifestyle it perpetuates. Please pick up your copy of No Lie Lives Forever, available in Amazon
0: and finer bookstores near you. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you.
2: Head to
0: evergreenpodcast.com/slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. And we are back with Jordan Gannath, founder and CEO of Playmaker capital um before the break i mentioned one word and that is pickleball the reason i mentioned pickleball is you know sports are expanding uh televised sports is expanding uh what might be the next you know esports is a new thing i'm, I'm curious how much you guys are, are are keep are paying attention to some of these up-and-coming sports as opposed to the traditional ones
1: yeah it's a great question so uh, I'll, I'll take a sport that's not so up and coming but certainly what we would call green space uh, soccer, you know, proper football, not American football. If you look at the look at the Canadian and the U.S. market, it's complete green space. Nobody has taken an ownership of this of what is the most popular sport in the entire world. Fox. ESPN corner of their desk, and right? it is something they aren't paying attention to all day long. Something that we excel in very much, and so we we bought an we bought a property in the summer of 2022 called World Soccer Talk, and we took World Soccer Talk, which was a very small, uh, very small website based out of uh, out of Florida. Worked with uh, the gentleman who runs that site called uh, Chris uh, uh, called uh, Chris uh, Harrison. Chris is an amazing, amazing. Uh, writer, he does a podcast and has an incredible, incredible set of knowledge around it. He's a Brit who uh, he speaks he speaks fluent football. We took that site from its viewership to of about three hundred to five hundred thousand sessions per month up to two million, and we did that by really focusing on the content. World Cup was a huge, huge instigator for that for us in the Canadian market. We had bought an asset called the Ninetieth Minute. We added more content to it. We added a podcast to it. And it's become a very valuable piece of content for anyone who's interested in the soccer market in North America. So absolutely, we're trying to find uh, places where we can find a wedge and break through it. The, you know, there's lots of people write about NFL, lots of writing about NBA, lots of writing about Major League Baseball. In the Canadian market, hockey is something that is obviously the, the, the number one sport here in Canada. And it is something where you've got two major broadcasters, Bell and Rogers. And we have set out to be the challenger brand. We want to be the largest independent voice of hockey in the Canadian market. But in the US market, there isn't anyone really focused on hockey. Again, corner of your desk for certain uh, certain sports companies. Daily Face Off, which is our uh, our national brand, we have a lot of fan sites. We have Oilers Nation, the Leafs Nation, uh, Canucks Army, Flames Nation. Those are just very particular team sites. But Daily Face Off is anything and everything you want to know about hockey. Uh, when, and it's run by uh, Frank Saravalli, who is one of the top hockey pundits in North America. That audience is now over 30% US. So a huge push for us to bring that sport into the U.S. market. You Take a look at something like uh, Pickleball. Pickleball, if there is enough audience for it, if there's enough people interested in it, absolutely it becomes something that we talk about. But you need to think about scale, right? When you're, when you're in the space of writing about media, you need to have a lot of content to write about. And you know, when you take a look at emerging products and emerging products like Pickleball, uh, I mean, it's going to take a while before there's personalities attached to it and there's statistics and there's information that is going to be worth consistently writing about and creating enough, uh, enough fandom about. The one thing we do is we have a site, our US site Yard Barker is very much about delivering all sports to everybody all the time. And what we call the content is really water cooler smart. It's short form content that gives you in 45 seconds enough information to make you smart about the topic of the day to sit around with your friends talk at the office and and know what i know how to be relevant in a conversation we have a newsletter that goes out to over 400,000 people each and every morning called the morning bark and on the morning bark you can select all tons of different sports we have over 300 syndication partners who syndicate their content into yard bark that we ingest so if you want to follow sailing Grand prix, you can go on to Morning Bark. You'll click, I want, every morning I want to know the most important thing about sail, the most important thing about the XFL, the most important thing about track and field and swimming. So we've curated the ability to ingest all of that until such time that it's actually a topic that you can then write about because there's enough constant uh, constant happenings about that particular sport
0: are there statistics out there as to what percentage of football fans bet on games or have a desire to bet on games versus baseball fans versus hockey fans etc
1: i don't know if it's a the statistic per se i know that uh in in nevada and this is going back a little bit so uh nfl nfl rule supreme so let's just start with that nfl is the number one bet on sport in the u.s it's, it's monster and, and but football as a category because i I don't remember seeing NFL and, and college split out, but football as a category is uh, over 40% was the last numbers I saw at Las and, Vegas. And, 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 so, by, and by the way, big number. And,
0: and by the way, what is it about football that makes it the number one betting sport? Do you think?
1: Yeah, they listen, they, 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 they stole a the day of the week from, from God. I mean, that's uh, like they took, they took Sunday, right? So, I mean, uh, what is, what does it happen? So I think the, the NFL has, uh, has, has, been a product that for years and years has had enough interesting interactions and enough interesting statistics in it and enough drama in a sport like that that has made it a darling for a darling for betting whether before this was even legal I mean this has been the number one bet on sport in uh, in the U.S. for years and years and years and it's in part it's because of just the ability to have all of the activity on one day. Mm -hmm. Now it's spread out over a few days, but it's concentrated. There's a whole week of lead up to it, a whole bunch of information that gets sent out to you over the course of a week. And then you have your ability to bet and you can spend an entire day watching how all that happens. So the, the drama that an individual gets around the NFL is quite unique. If you think of hockey, basketball, baseball, the other three major sports uh, in the US. So baseball is 162 games. It's a lot of, there's a lot of content, a lot of games. And are you going to get as excited about one game versus the next game? Different. It's not a day. It's every single day. Uh, Hockey and basketball, the cadence is just, it's continuous cadence that is going on. You don't have Five games to bet on every single night to bet on in football. It is all uh, it is all contained. And now with the advent of in-game betting or prop betting and novelty betting that goes on, you get a lot more excitement out of that three-hour window of an NFL game. It's not just about who winner, who's won or lost. It's not just about the over/under. It's not just about the point spread. It's about the quarter. Who's winning after a particular quarter? What is the What is the proposition bet of you know? Is Patrick Mahomes going to get two touchdowns or one touch? Touchdown. Is Travis Kelsey going to get three touchdowns or two touchdowns? All of that plays into the novelty of how much engagement you can get in a, particular, in a particular game. And NFL has all of those moments in time. And it has enough pauses in the game for you to absorb the information and react. Basketball moves very fast paced. You can't bet on every point in basketball. You can't bet on every shot in hockey. Uh, so they're just missing some of those, uh, what I would call sort of in-game moments that are available in every single NFL game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The nice thing about football is you can bet football and not feel like you have a gambling problem because it's, it's once a week you start betting baseball, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're gambling every single day. So, <laughs> so, so football is the clear head and shoulders above every other sport when it comes to the the, the gambling dollar. What, what sport do you see that might be an upcoming sport that might start garnering more attention and more, more betters? Yeah, I think
1: basketball, basketball is number two. Um, b- basketball has got, uh, has got a lot of personality attached to it. So, you know, in the case of like, what, what's the Casual sports fan gonna want to do versus sort of a, a heavy punter, someone who's a, a a big a big better. You know, basketball again has a lot of that drama that comes onto it. Over under is is a big one. You know, what what's the total total point uh, over under on total points? Uh, the spread is huge. You know, in a basketball game, it could be a blowout, but you know, blowout means that you really do you really want them to try hard in the last. You know, they're up by fifteen points. Are they just gonna dribble out? I need you to score one more shot. How important is that free throw? There is a lot of drama that happens in that last segment of a basketball game that, uh, that is meaningful to a sports better. So I think that you know, basketball is, is, is the number two in the market. Baseball is big just because of quantity, right? There's just so much baseball uh, that, uh, that goes out there. And, and in, in Canada, hockey is a much bigger player. You know, it's an over ten percent of the market in the U.S. It's less than five percent of the market uh, for and, for and how total do ass- handle in sports betting.
0: How do you assess hockey from a better standpoint as far as being a, a, an, an enjoyable game to, to bet on?
1: You know, in, in Canada, it's like basketball, right? There's lots of drama that can go on in a hockey game as well. You know, you're you got uh, you if you, if, you're play, if you're playing if you're playing total total number of goals on an over under, and it's a and then the number is five, and a team is up three to one, and you've got and you've got five, you've got the under. Well, you don't want some to pull the goalie on the other side because all of a sudden, you know, there's an easy goal that gets in there. So how, you know, same as basketball, how important is that pulling goal? Don't pull the goalie. I need you not to score a goal. You know, that that drama plays into it for, uh, for a fan. So the game is not over until the game is over. So I think hockey does lend itself if you understand the sport and get into the sport, like any other sport, you have to get into it uh, to understand it. So I, I think that uh, in the Canadian market, it's been proven that hockey has got, uh, got a lot of, a lot of following here. And uh, you know, you've got to say, it's, it's a big, it's a bigger part of the, of the overall betting percentage. Um, listen, soccer is still number one in the world. Uh, like it's it's, it's massive. You know, in, uh, in, in Latin America, it's basically, that's it. Like you, you bet on, you bet on soccer is number one. Uh, and then, you know, depending on the country you're in, it's basketball. NFL football is big in Mexico. Uh, It's the number two sport. Uh, And in Latin America, beyond Mexico, basketball, NBA is the number two, the number two sport.
0: Give me, you were talking about soccer and that's one of your properties. Give me your assessment of where soccer stands in America right now. I mean, it's the first sport that every kid plays now. Uh, It's one that definitely probably the most popular sport for, for kids. Um, It definitely has grown this you know, the league was it MS what's the name of the league? Is it M L S? Yeah. Major yeah. League Soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Um certainly seems to be doing well, but it's still what, a distant it's in it's in fifth place and pretty distant fifth place uh
1: it's growing it's it's a growing and, and you're, you're spot on it's a growing sport because of accessibility right soccer is the most successful sport for for anybody every kid plays soccer when they're when they're younger um, but what's happening now is if you think about basketball back in the you know the 70s and 80s it took superstars it took it took talent it, in today's environment it takes personality so you had Bird and Magic, Bird and Magic. Yeah, yeah Julius and then Bird and Magic came and all of a sudden the NBA began to take off. And then 1984, you get Michael Jordan comes in and the NBA starts going crazy. And it's recognizing the power of a brand and a person. Major League Soccer, David Beckham. So David Beckham came in to LA Galaxy years and years ago and Major League Soccer got a little bit of a boost. What's going to happen now when some of these really well-known personalities in soccer begin to come over in the later parts of their career but come over to major league to major league soccer and there's talk about Messi coming to uh inter-Miami is one of the discussions that uh, you hear about uh, if you read any of our websites you'll read a lot more about that than others uh in particular given that he's Argentinian and uh so I think that uh, I think that you'll I think you'll see major league soccer and soccer in general continue to grow I do believe that World Cup 2026 will be the single largest global event in sports in the history of the modern era. Nothing will be bigger than this. You're going to have Canada, the US and Mexico. All through to the time zones are perfect because Europeans don't care what time they're watching sports. They're going to be up till all hours of the night to watch it. Qatar was a major success from a viewership perspective. They got the times right for people to watch it. And you look at the engagement, the number of people that engaged in that uh, was amazing. And you know, by all accounts, the finals was probably one of the greatest games ever played. It had everything you could have wanted in it with, you know, the hero winning at the end of the day. You know, the greatest player of all time turns and, turns out to be the winner of, uh, of the World Cup, something he's coveted his whole life. Take that drama and watch that continue. So Major League Soccer is starting this summer with something called the League's Cup. It's going to be uh, its version of Champions League. So basically, Liga Mex, the Mexican League and uh major league soccer are going to both shut down for a month and they're going to play a tournament with each other and that's very very big for soccer fans they love seeing this type of interleague and tournament play very very popular in europe it's you know you've got uh, common ball which is the federation down in latin america does something simpler similar and then you've got in 2024 you're going to have euros are back on uh you're going to have uh, copa america coming back on 2025 There's a pre-World Cup event that's going to be happening in... Canada, U.S., Mexico, and then, of course, World Cup 2026. So I think there's a lot of momentum behind uh, behind soccer. What they need is viewership. They need people to get more engaged in the game. There's talks about how to improve it. Do you take Major League Soccer and set up a relegation system like you have in Europe where every game matters, even at the bottom of the table? You know, right now, all people look about, oh, are you going to make the playoffs? In European and in particular in the Premier League in, uh, in, in the U.K., not only do you care about who's going to win, you're always focused on who's on the bottom because those bottom those bottom guys are going to be relegated to the EFL from the EPL, and in the EFL, it's not just winning; it's getting promoted. And so there's talks about how do you create that dynamic in the uh, in the North American, whether Major League Soccer adopts it or not. There's there's a lot of things that they can do to do it to to make it um, to make it even better. And now with their new TV deal with Apple, they're making the product incredibly accessible to not just the television audience in north america but apple's a global is a global uh, relationship that they've created which i think uh, bodes well for them uh, if it takes off
0: one thing i've always been curious about is whether in europe <laughs> where there's been sports gambling going on far longer than in the U.S., right? It's a very robust market, very mature market. Um, do the teams there benefit directly from any of the sports betting? In other words, do the sports betting companies have to pay any type of license fee to any of the leagues out there that you're aware of?
1: No, that was a pretty North American phenomenon. Uh, yeah, Wait, North shouldn't American end up happening, though, they, though, right? Do a lot the- of yeah. No surprise that North American leagues do things uh, do things uh, very <laughs> very commercially. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, yeah. The, the leagues, leagues here went from.
0: They we went from opposing, no way, we never want gambling in the sport. You, you know, it's going to uh, affect but the integrity of the sport. <laughs> to, to to pay me, and, and suddenly the integrity yeah. is fine. well the reason I ask is is that you know, European soccer players by far have the the highest salaries of any athletes I think in the world. They're 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 bigger, believe it or not, than U.S. salaries. Normally, U.S. salaries are higher than anywhere in the world. But but European soccer players make the most. And I just my theory there was like, gee. Maybe somehow all this sports betting that's happening out there is the, in Europe is the reason why there's so much more revenue and they're able to pay the players more.
1: Yeah, no, it's not. It's not coming from sports betting. Uh, it's not coming from sports betting
0: uh, direct revenue.
1: They sponsor, so you'll go into any any stadium, you'll see a lot of advertising uh, around that. But it's not. It's not like we see here where you've got. Uh, companies who become what they call uh, ASOs, like uh, Authorized Authorized Sports uh, Operator, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. But but yeah, uh, yeah, you, you the uh, the sports betting operators uh, get a designation from the different leagues that allows them to use marks and logos and other stuff, and they pay and they pay them a percentage of uh, either handle or gaming revenue, depending on the leagues. Each league has a different interpretation. I think the I think the push for the leagues to uh, I mean, there's the economic side. The integrity one is. A question of regulation. You know, I think there were the, the leagues were, and this go back 2015 when Adam Silver penned his op-ed, uh, which is how this whole, um, you know, the the PASPA overturn really got going. You know, the logic wasn't um, the logic was wasn't saying, okay, I, I just want a big piece of this pie. I think the logic was that the world is changing and you need to really think about how this is going to be adopting. Uh, How how we're going to adopt and modify the way we think about sports betting, because the more that people do it and the less regulated it is, the more unsavory the characters are who are going to get into it. That's the thesis. And at the end of the day, if you regulate it, then what you have are all the necessary tools in place to one to make sure that only a certain segment of the population is able to do this, age-restricted. From a league's perspective, only certain people who are not associated with the leagues are able to do it. So, you know, referees, people who work in the leagues themselves, people who work for teams are prohibited from participating in this activity. Uh, and that's important for the integrity of the game for sure. And ultimately, it's to make sure that uh, there's responsible gaming tools and that's the piece that a lot of people aren't really focused on, but one that is hugely, hugely important. And I can't stress that the enough how much of a privilege it is to be in the gambling industry that you've been in, that I've been in and it's an industry with privilege truly like you don't you don't have the right to be in this industry and a regulator can shut you down as an individual or as a business at any point in time if you cross lines and responsible gaming is the is really the um, the 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 one thing that we need to as an industry continue to stay focused on in order to allow ourselves to continue to have the ability to offer this product into the market no different than if you're selling alcohol or tobacco there're certain rules that you need to have in place in order to ensure that the product is delivered in a safe manner and that those who are using it understand that the product is uh, what what the product is and how to use it in a safe manner
0: yeah legalizing it and regulating it has always made sense to me the mob is not very happy about that uh first we took the first we took the lottery away from the mob the numbers games <laughs> and, and regulated that and now we're taking sports betting away from them but i'm i'm, I'm sure they'll find something else jordan we got to leave it there my friend really appreciate it it's playmaker capital the symbol is pmkr and don't forget pickleball jordan pickleball is the future we're <laughs> going to have you back on the show in a, in a year you're going to say you're you, you were right about that
1: well, Jim, thanks. It's great seeing you again, and uh, good luck with the show, and thanks so much for
0: having me. All right. Thanks again. Take care. I want you to smash that like button. <laughs> <laughs>